0: He uses an example in that book about paying your mortgage off, right? And he, saw, he said it was the smartest decision he and his, his wife made. And it it wasn't the best financial decision they made. It, it was the best decision they made because it helped them sleep better at night. And so our our most valuable asset, whether you are a billionaire or you're just starting out in the world, is time. We all trade in the same currency. What do you want to do with your time? And financial independence you know, is a, is a fancy tagline that we use in the industry. And really what that means is freedom of time, your autonomy to do what you want, when you want, with whom you want. So that is at the core of all of our client relationships.
1: Let's discover what people are building in the greater Cleveland community. We are telling the stories of Northeast Ohio's entrepreneurs, builders, and those supporting them. Welcome to the Lay of the Land podcast where we are exploring what people are building in Cleveland and throughout Northeast Ohio. I am your host, Jeffrey Stern, and today I had the real pleasure of speaking with TJ Gleeha, the co-founder of Journey Wealth. Established in 2021, Journey Wealth is a full-service wealth planning firm that helps entrepreneurs explore the world of opportunities availed by their success by addressing their needs and enabling them and their families to lead the lives that they aspire to. From its humble beginnings with just four employees, Journey Wealth has grown as a self-governing registered investment advisory firm to nearly 20 professionals, with the strategic acquisition of a significant equity stake in FSM Wealth, offering multifamily office services primarily to professional golfers. With a robust background as a portfolio manager and trader at the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, and also as a former shareholder at the Sequoia Financial Group. TJ brings a wealth of experience to the table. Not only is he dedicated to helping entrepreneurs make the most of their time, their most valuable asset, but he also plays an active role in the community as a board member of the Make-A-Wish Foundation and Cleveland Clinic Children's Council, in addition to his role as treasurer of the Avon Lake Football Club, stemming from his passion for football. This was a really fun conversation for me as a longtime student of public market investing, TJ and I really got to unpack the wealth management business and industry overall, the intersection of investing and of entrepreneurship, the psychology and cognitive biases of investors, his formative past as a trader on the exchange floor, the evolution of journey wealth over time and service of entrepreneurship, his perspective on leadership, and so much more. So please enjoy my conversation with TJ Gleeha after a brief message from our sponsor. Lay of the Land is brought to you by Impact Architects and by 90. As we share the stories of entrepreneurs building incredible organizations in Cleveland and throughout Northeast Ohio, Impact Architects has helped hundreds of those leaders, many of whom we have heard from as guests on this very podcast, realize their own visions and build these great organizations. I believe in Impact Architects and the people behind it so much that I have actually joined them personally in their mission to help leaders gain focus, align together and thrive by doing what they love. If you two are trying to build great, Impact Architects is offering to sit down with you for a free consultation or provide a free trial through 90, the software platform that helps teams build great companies. If you're interested in learning more about partnering with Impact Architects or by leveraging 90 to power your own business, please go to ia.layoftheland.fm. The link will also be in our show notes. So I've been... We're really looking forward to having you on the, the podcast for for a while now, because when we had the the opportunity to meet a few months back, I felt like I got to hear an abridged version of what we'll get to talk about today, and your like tenacity and and passion in recounting your story was just like very memorable and engaging. And so I hope I'm not you know setting the bar too high here before we. Even <laughs> Start. I'm uh, uh, not
0: Teddy Roosevelt, so there's no, uh, you know, I won't be pounding on the table or anything.
1: (laughs) No, it'll be fun though to to share your story with a greater audience than myself. So I I think uh, that's what I've been looking forward to. No, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. So, recounting what I can recall from your story, you know, before we get to you know, prop trading and, and uh, the Chicago board and transitioning to entrepreneurship and wealth management in Cleveland, I think it would be awesome to just start closer to the beginning, you know, with your earliest of motivations and, you know, what it was like for you, proverbially to, to break into to Wall Street.
0: Yeah. So what's interesting about that, Wall Street. So I grew up in a, you know, middle-class family, grew up on the East side of Cleveland, and uh, I always wanted to be an attorney and I uh, want to be a, a family of attorneys and whether defense attorneys or estate planners and on the legal side. And I had one uncle who was in private equity. We're sitting around on a family barbecue at my uncle's house, beautiful home. It's in, located in Pepper Pike. And when I was asking my one uncle, who's an attorney, questions about um, how was this week? What, what are things going on? And he's, he, he said, you know, some of the questions I had, he said, you should really start looking outside of law. Just make sure that you, when you come into law, that this is exactly what you want to do and be careful about selecting a career where you just charge for time. And I was like, oh, okay. You know, I'm at the time I had no idea what he was talking about. And I was a lifeguard at the Shoreby Club and uh, Shoreby Club's a, it's a beautiful yacht club out out on, 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 on Lake Erie. And there was a retired dentist and his wife, and this was the, the, the height of the dot-com bubble, uh, 1999, 2000. And every day they would be day trading and they would be, you know, they'd have uh, you know, newspapers and investment books and nobody was ever in the pool. So I would just sit and chat, the, chat them up and ask questions and they took me under their wing and, you know, we started following Five Stocks. And I don't, I think I remember it was like EMC and, and cause I had a cousin who worked for EMC. I think it was Best Buy because at the time everybody wanted a Sony Discman or whatever was popular at the time. So I, I you know, what kind of fell for the Peter Lynch method where just look at and, and identify things that, that you can touch, feel, and you understand, right? So I started following those, those, those stocks. And at the same time, my cousin who was in from New York had a, his girlfriend at the time worked for Goldman Sachs on the fixed income trading side and Goldman, I had no idea what Goldman was. I, or you know, you, you kind of hear about it, but I had no idea what it was and fixed income, no idea what that meant. And so they came in for a July 4th barbecue. And I remember just sitting next to her and peppering her with 25, I mean, a million questions. And after we got done, she's like, you know, why don't, why don't you do this? Why, why don't you prepare a resume? And send it in and I'll, I'll submit it. They have an internship program that they start interviewing this fall for the following summer. And I said, great. Okay. I, don't, I wouldn't even know where to begin on doing a resume or anything like that. So prepared a resume, gave it to her. She helped me get in front of Goldman Sachs, uh, a connection of Morgan Stanley, Credit Suisse versus Boston, and I think one other firm. And leading into it, she said, "Listen, you. I think this is great experience. You get to ask questions. You get to see Wall Street on Wall Street." Um, she said, "But you won't get the job. You know, they only hire non or they only hire Ivy Leaguers." But I think it would be a great opportunity for you to experience that and kind of dip your toe and see the world. And I said, "Sounds good to me. I have nothing to lose. This is great." So submitted my resumes, went out there that fall, and you know interviewed. And I will tell you, it was the most stressful. Situation, you know, you're peppered all these questions and things, and most of which I have no idea. And and uh, but you know, on the other aspect, I had nothing to lose, so I just went in there and said, okay, no, well, I'm just going to go and you know talk to these people, ask them questions, learn more about it, and lo and behold, I actually got a job offer from Credit Suisse First Boston. So I was the only non Ivy League guy at the time from my from this interim class, and I was floor. I was so excited. Couldn't, you know, so I spent that my whole junior year. And at the time I was pre-law and had and now started taking, dropped a bunch of classes, took economics, finance, a bunch of things, try to, try to, you know, bolster up what, what I knew uh, or, or, or education. So then got to, to go to wall street and I'm, I mean, Wall com bubble, biotech desk, listed block trading desk, you know, this is got to experience NASDAQ. I mean, in 2000 and 2001, I mean, it was such a different d- dynamic at the time and the experience that I, that I, that I went through and in a couple things, one, not only the experience about learning the industry from, you know, the best of the best. I mean, CNBC was interviewing a couple of the traders on a daily basis and you're just saying, you're just sitting there in awe, but I had no idea what, you know, the fixed income was or derivatives or the difference between different equity, um, Portfolio sales, so many things about the industry that I got to experience. So that was fantastic. The other aspect is, is just challenging myself. It was the first time in my life where you're like, you know what, like, w- what's the worst? They say no. Nope. All right, great, I can do this. And so, you know, I remember my mom hooked me up. Like, we went to the suit, and it was the cheapest suit, and it was like two sizes too big for the interview. But I wouldn't trade it for the world. It was, it was, it was such a fantastic experience. And, and then I got to live in Manhattan and and spent the, you know. The weekends going to the Hamptons and going to the shore and going up to Newport, Rhode Island and and just kind of living something that I'm, you know, a guy from Chesterton, Ohio. I think the tallest building in Chesterton is our library. Right. And if you if you fell off, you wouldn't even break your arm. So, you know, it was a fantastic experience in, in learning what I wanted to do. And I just fell in love with it.
1: So we'll spend a lot of our conversation today talking about wealth management and the business behind it, you know particularly through this lens of journey wealth and FSM wealth and the whole entrepreneurial journey that you've embarked on here. but I wanted to level set about what wealth management even is you know what is wealth and how is it that you manage it?
0: When I first started studying finance and financial service industry, wealth management, 20 years ago was you're more of a gatekeeper to a stock or bond, right? Financial planning was, it it wasn't what it is today. Uh, I mean, financial planning, there were financial planners around 30 years ago, but it wasn't at the core of what, what the financial service industry did. It was more, Hey, we're a gatekeeper to a stock or to a bond and wealth management has evolved, right? Providing additional services to, to clients based on what they're looking to accomplish financially. So, even when I started in, in the, the investment or wealth management industry, people still referred to their, their guy as a broker. Right. And so a broker just says, Hey, you know, I got a hot stock tip and which is totally not what the industry has is or has evolved to be. But wealth management is really, you know, the way that we view it is really getting a thorough understanding of what your clients are looking to accomplish financially and beyond and, and helping, you know, helping provide solutions. Right. And, and, you know, we believe that, you know, wealth management is the core of it is, is financial planning and financial planning is not just what a cheesy tagline you hear at a Super Bowl commercial. Right. It is really understanding your clients short term, intermediate and long term goals and, and helping provide proactive solutions to accomplish those goals. And then like a fitness routine, anybody can write you a fitness routine and then they give it to you and then they disappear. But having being partners with your client and helping them, whatever the checklist for the next 90 days or 180 days or five years beyond is really, you know, providing those proactive solutions to helping your clients achieve whatever their, their purpose or legacy is. So, you know, I, I left when I graduated college, I took a job working for a, a derivatives trading company of which I loved. I, I got to trade short term options on short term interest rate futures. I did that for 12, a little over 12 years in Chicago, yelling and screaming at the Board of Trade. It was the Chicago Mercantile Exchange and then the CME bought out the Board of Trade and moved everybody to the Board of Trade. But it was at the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. It was the most liquid, most actively traded options pit in the world. I got to trade in it during the advent of technology as, you know, a lot of things moved to electronic trading, as well as, you know, yelling and screaming in the pit during the subprime crisis, which was the most volatile time in interest rate, at least modern day interest rate history. The lessons I learned, the relationships I grew, it was, it could be very lucrative. It was, it was high risk, high reward. It was very intense but the one thing about the, the pit, when you trade in the pit, it's a relationship. You have to have relationships with the brokers. I was a proprietary trader, so we didn't have clients. We traded our own money. We you know we had backers who were essentially the bank, and you and your partner and your team that you built out, you, you traded throughout the year, and we were you know half speculators, half spreaders. Basically, we provided liquidity to the marketplace. But the brokers we're on the outside of the pit. We were, we, as the locals were on the inside of the pit, they facilitated orders for large institutional investors being hedge funds, pension funds, you know, J.P. Morgan Chase, Goldman, and they use this product as, as a way to hedge their, their risk and, and interest rates. So we, as the proprietary traders would take the other side of these bets and spread it off against, you know, other positions within the product. But the relationships you had with the broker if when things got busy you develop relationships with the broker they knew they can count on you to make a timely market to provide liquidity for their clients and i really appreciated that the risk management side and the relationships that i had with the broker but the as the industry grew it became as i mentioned earlier it went from being you know um, risk management fast market making you know pit trading to how fast your algorithm was computer programming and it switched. We went from hiring you know, Ivy League athletes to hiring PhDs and computer programmers from MIT. And the funny part is, is they're like, hey, TJ, you need to go interview this PhD from MIT. I'm like, I don't know what the heck I'm going to ask this guy What the square root of 500 is. I mean, this guy's smarter than I'll ever be when it comes to that. So, you know, some of my questions were you'd be on the, the horn with these guys for 12 hours a day. You'd have to talk to them nonstop, and so I would ask them, "Can you name me all nine positions on a baseball field, or can you, you know, tell me who won the game last night?" Because a lot of it is, is you're you're working. These are your team members that you have to. Yes, you have to talk about work, but there's also a lot of it. Are you going to gel and be able to, to to work well together outside of just the the number side? So in 2011, so our clearinghouse was was MF Global, and in 2011 there was a scandal in which MF Global basically combined segregated assets with non-segregated assets and caused, you know, our clearinghouse, our, our dollars were frozen. And so we couldn't trade for over, a, for over a week. And that was a lot of money tied up towards the, it was, uh, it, that Friday was unemployment. Unemployment's a big number in, in, in our world back then. So, and our, my backers and bosses did a fantastic job of providing liquidity during that time, but it was, it, it 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 shook me at the time and said, listen, I want to be part of something. I want something different out of my career. Like we did everything right. And I couldn't control the one thing and you can never really control, you know, you can't control everything, but it's begun, started me on a path of thinking about, I wanted more out of, out of my career, more than just making money. I wanted and I started writing these down. Like I wanted a, a career or, or an opportunity to really focus on relationships focus on, on, on helping you know, people with their finances. Cause I, I really, you know, in the proprietary trading world, we only got paid once a year. So we got paid every March and you had a financially plan for, for the the next year coming and beyond. So if you had a bad year, you better have saved. If not, you know, your wife's going to be really disappointed in you. So um, <laughs> the, so financial planning was always at a core of what we did. And I really was intrigued by it because you could build a business based on relationships, based on trust and it's something that I could spend the next couple decades doing. So, you know, that was I went from proprietary trading to I joined uh, for I joined UBS for for a small period, I had a cup of coffee at UBS, but realized I wanted to be more on the independent side. You know, more in the more more on the independent side. We can get into that if you want. But I wanted to be you know. The, the, the gentlemen that I worked for were great guys. They, they were fantastic people, but the way that they wanted to run their business was different than the way that I, that I, that I saw the, the future of the industry going.
1: I remember the first time we talked, I'll harken back to one of our mutual favorite authors we had talked about, this fellow Morgan Housel, who wrote a wonderful book called The, the Psychology of Money. I, I love this book because it, it's just grounded in reality. <laughs> and basically, he argues that you know wealth can consistently and predictably be built through discipline and avoiding our cognitive biases over time that would have us uh, lose that wealth. And, and he talks about you know what these biases are, practically how you might position yourself to best avoid them, to even pointing out how modern financial saving instruments like the 401k or Roth IRA weren't, created as concepts until the late 70s and 90s, respectively. So how novel these vehicles are in the grand scheme of wealth management conventional wisdom in practice. So all that is to get at an approach for how individuals can think about managing their own wealth and how others may advise people in the managing of their wealth From your own perspective, how is it that you came to the kind of philosophy that you have around wealth management and your own approach to it?
0: I have the opportunity to work with a lot of entrepreneurs. I mean, that's a a, a core focal point of our firm. And business owners inherently look at the world differently, right? And so finance is, you know, Oh, has always been, it's kind of a by-the-book type thing. So what I loved about Morgan Housel's book, Psychology of Money, he uses an example in that book about paying your mortgage off, right? And he, saw, he said it was the smartest decision he and his, his wife made. And it, it wasn't the best financial decision they made. It, it was the best decision they made because it helped them sleep better at night. And so our, our most valuable asset, whether you are a billionaire or you're just starting out in the world, is time. We all trade in the same currency. What do you want to do with your time? And financial independence you know, is a is a fancy tagline that we use in the industry. And really what that means is freedom of time, your autonomy to do what you want, when you want, with whom you want. So that is at the core of all of our client relationships. We have a lot of clients that say they want to be philanthropic, right? That's what they want to do with their free time and their free resources. We have a lot of clients that say, I want to spend more time with my family, right? I want to go on I want to take my family on a large trip every year, and, and that's what they want to do with their time and their resources. And that's great. We can help them plan for that. But if we only focus on the investment, investment side of the equation in, in you know, with the advent of technology and the, the enhancements, the, the investment side is a commoditized piece. That's the commoditized part of the business. 92% of investment returns are driven by asset allocation, right? Your mixture between stocks and bonds. And so if you understand what what people are trying to accomplish and whether that's pay off kids, you know, college or save for retirement in a 401k or start a new business or transfer money to the next generation, you know, you have to assigning an allocation around that. That's the easy part. But helping clients, helping clients achieve those goals, quantify those goals and actually define those goals is really where where the rubber meets the road. AI, so AI is, you know, the buzzword over the past year. AI technology can solve for I, the, all the IQ part of the, the equation. IQ can be solved by AI. It, it can be and will be and is and and, and, and we see that. On, you know, type up chat GBT what you want and spits out a, a paragraph for you. But we at Journey want to take that technology, the AI, and so that it can free us up for more time to focus on the EQ the emotional side of the equation, understand what our clients are are really trying to to accomplish and what their what their aspirations are and what they want to do with their freedom of time. 90 uh, percent of the clients that walk into our office aren't focused on, I mean, yes, dollars and cents are really important, but a lot of that is solved, right? It's gonna be, I'm fifty-two, I'm selling my business, now what? I have no idea what what you know what the next chapter of my life looks like. And we help to find that. We help them, you know, bring, bring that out, crystallize it, and then work with other advisors in a collateral fashion to, to surround the needs and help, help them track that out. You know, 75% of business owners that sell their business profoundly regretted a year later. And a lot of that is not because of the money aspect. It's because of they didn't know what was next. So that's why a journey—something we're doing a little bit differently—is we're bringing on a life coach and an executive coach that's going that's helping surround the needs of our clients. Because when we think about wellness, it's not only financial wellness, but it's emotional wellness, it's it's spiritual wellness, it's physical wellness. Prime example: everything. You know, a lot of times we hear, "Hey, I want to take my grandkids. We, we want to go on a vacation every year. I want to hike. You know, we want to we want to we want to tour the Grand Canyon." well you're 50 pounds overweight you haven't talked to your daughter in two years how are you going to have a relationship with your grandkids let's start to mend some of those other things let's get and, and the largest unknown cost in retirement is is healthcare, right so we we need to begin now to establish good habits which will establish you know better outcomes and results you know, moving forward. So Journey is not just about the financial picture. Now that's at the core of what we do, but we're continuing to add you know, value to our clients in other areas that, that they deem important.
1: So t- tell us a little bit about Journey's story. You know, how is it that, it, you know, you came to this holistic approach to, to wealth as a concept and, you know, just a, an overview of, of the company itself and, and how it came to be?
0: Sure. So I had the opportunity, I I used to work for a great firm, worked there for seven years. And as I mentioned before, I worked with a lot of entrepreneurs. And when working with entrepreneurs, it it becomes contagious, right? So you, you, and, and, you know, my prior role as a proprietor trader, you were, we were entrepreneurs. We had our own business. We managed our own expenses. We managed our own, we didn't really have a boss. So, you know, I I had the opportunity to work with a lot of entrepreneurs at, at my previous firm. And in that, I kept every night would go home to my wife and be like, I need to do something. Like, I just feel this, 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 and it, it wasn't structural, it was personal. You know, I wanted to sign the front of my paycheck and not the back. And, you know, it's not about the end destination. It was really about the journey. And I wanted to have fun and, and, and do things a little bit differently. So an opportunity presented itself in, in 2020, COVID, which was, you know, we know has affected everybody in, in, in a million different ways, both bad and good. It presented an opportunity. There was a there was a gentleman locally who had an existing RA firm that dealt uh, provided multifamily office services for professional golfers. Great existing platforms, great niche business, very customized solution. Something that I I, I liked. Um, there wasn't a solution that this this firm didn't. say so If you needed help with your you know kitchen being you know, redone, they would hop on the phone. You need to help get financing for a plane. They would help get on the phone. And I like that customized tailored approach. And at the time he was looking for succession. He was in his early sixties. And a lot of his clients are in their forties saying, if something happens to you, what happens to me? Right. So, but he knew he didn't want to sell out to one of the bigger boys and he still wanted to be involved in, in the relationship and in the business for you know a, a period of time. So at that time, I was, you know, networking and came across this opportunity. I met with this gentleman and it seemed like a really good fit, a a great match made in heaven. And I believe, firmly, strongly believe in our industry, it has to be a team-based approach. I certainly, just because I wanted to be an entrepreneur and and start my own business did not mean that hanging a shingle was in the best interest of the client because it isn't. And so I formed a group of partners and we took a material equity stake in FSM Wealth. And FSM Wealth, as I mentioned before, we service multifamily offices services for professional golfers. We manage 55 and we do everything from pay their bills, do their bookkeeping, manage their assets, do their financial planning, tax planning, you name it, we, we do it. And so it was a great platform, great client base, five of the top 50 all-time money leaders on the tour. We had three guys in the President's Cup last year. Right now we have two guys slated to be on the Ryder Cup. We have three of the top eight amateurs in the U.S. today. So we have a great, you know, robust client platform providing niche-tailored solutions with complex, you know, they, they play in 34 different states, four different countries. So there was, there's a tax piece to this that there's nuance. So, so we found a journey, journey took a material equity stake in FSM wealth and journey, it provides multifamily office services for entrepreneurs and ultra high net worth families. So we provide very similar services just with a, you know, a a different set of clients.
1: And where, where did the focus on entrepreneurs come from? The, The impetus for, for wanting to focus there.
0: I think coming into the wealth management industry from the institutional side, a little bit older in my life cycle, probably. And I'm still young, right? I'm I'm still a young guy. I'm 43 years old, but I didn't come. This wasn't my first job right out of college. Right. So I I had experience and a little bit of life experience of that, that helped me with empathy and, and I think rational thinking. And, you know, I didn't just learn financial planning by the book. Right. So, and um, entrepreneurs being an entrepreneur, I, I, it really resonated with me. And so I had the opportunity to be affiliated with a group called EO and EO is an entrepreneur organization, which is an organization where, you know, in Cleveland, there's 140, 150 business owners in which this is the opportunity for them to learn, to develop, to, you know, share the 5% that they don't share with other people about their businesses, right? I how do I make payroll or, you know, um, my family relationships suffering due to the time I'm spending in my business, so all the all the, the nuances of being a business owner, because n- nobody really understands if you're not a business owner or you're not an entrepreneur, you don't understand the risk associated with it. You don't understand that it consumes you, right? This is everything you think about. You, you sleep, breathe, eat, you know, your business and how do I make it better? How do I market? I'm thinking about my clients. I'm thinking about my employees. So I had the opportunity to, to spend a lot of time with these members and the ability to understand what they're, they're trying to accomplish and then provide value in addition to everybody that's a financial planner or in the wealth management industry, everybody wants to manage your money. And, and the way that I view it is I don't want to manage your money. If the greatest asset you have is your business and you want to keep 90% of your net worth in, in your business and that's your biggest tool to, to financial independence, then I want to help you. Grow your business. I want to help you maximize the value in your business, maximize the value outside of your business. Right. I want to help you in areas, whether it's estate planning or cash flow optimization or wellness or whatever it is, I I can help. Right. Because the business owners, most they don't have any time. Right. They don't they don't have time. They don't have time to sit there and talk to their accountant about X, Y, and Z. And they don't have time to say that same conversation with their insurance professional or their same conversation with their estate plan professional. So we come in and we work collaboratively with the other advisors and and I think this term's overused, but really is the financial quarterback. You know, we we are the CFO. We come in and basically, you know, we, we take over. And I guess What's what's hard to, you know, our relationship is built on trust and trust is when action meets words, right? So like people say they do all these things and then they they, you know, what separates the good from the great is consistency. So we consistently keep doing that. And if and if we can't take on another client because we aren't consistently delivering good work, then we're gonna we're not gonna take on another client until we're delivering for our clients, right? So we, we wanna consistently do good work for our clients. And that's what I love about it. And and so working with entrepreneurs and seeing how that they created their own playground. Right. They created their own instrument. They created their own world in which, you know, in in which and, and I've learned so much from the clients. And I attribute taking this risk to the entrepreneurs that I got to work with, to the organization of EO, giving me the confidence to say, go for it. Right. And I remember I sat with a client and I told him what I was doing and he looked at me and he said, it's about time. You know, let's go. You know? So it's it's amazing how inspiring entrepreneurs can be to other entrepreneurs as long as you don't compare yourself. Right. Because everybody's running their own race in comparison's to Thief of Joy. I know we've heard that statement before, but it really is. If, if you understand that you're running your own race. And you're living in a world of abundance, then then you know life's going to work out. It just may not be. And I told my wife when I said, "Hey, I'm leaving my old job, and I'm you know we're going to start this business." And and I, I remember her saying, "Go for it!" You know, and and knowing that you have the support of your wife, have the support of your your clients, and then your 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 um, you know the stakeholders. It's like what happened. Worst case scenario, I'll go work. You know, I'll go work, and I don't care. I'll go work in Walmart. I, I, it does not bother me. I, but I, the regret of not taking the shot was far outweighed, not right. So you had you had to take the shot.
1: Right. Something you just mentioned there reminded me actually of, of something we had talked about when when we had first met as well, and it 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 relates and and maybe is a good seg to talk about you know the process of how it is that you actually sell. But you would. I remember you had mentioned that you know the the conversation that matters the most in selling in your business is what the spouse says to their partner on the car ride home. It, yeah. What, I, what do you mean by yeah, that? Yeah.
0: I, so as I mentioned before, you know this is a business based on we. I think we that what we do is in in our industry is we sell the hardest thing in the world to sell, and that's trust. And it's not a fancy. Screen TV. It's not a software application. It's 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 a relationship. And when you sit across from a couple and you say we care and we're going to deliver for you, you know, we're gonna we're gonna you know do all the things that we've set forth in this financial plan for you. You know, the conversation isn't there. It's it's when the when they get in the car and they're on their ride home and the wife looks at the husband and says, "I I believe in them. I trust in them." And and so every time I'm I'm talking to our colleagues internally, I say that's what we have to focus on. you know, is, it's not a fancy speech. It's not a mahogany office. It's that car ride home. When the wife turns to the husband and says, I believe in them, I trust in them, they can help. And so that's where there's nothing more compelling in the world to say than we have a great, you know, we, we have a ton of experience in working with clients similar to you, and I know we can help and meaning it. And in the clients, it, it resonates and trust is something that, you know, as I, I mentioned before, it's, it's when actions meet words, right. And it's when in doing the thing. So, I love what I do. I love the relationships we have with the clients, and you know it's such a joy to to understand and learn from our clients and to to help them. There's there's I think it's the most rewarding job in the world. I mean, I really do. I mean, I think I, I love what we do because it goes far beyond just managing assets. It's really you know, understanding in, and and I don't mean to be crass here, but people will talk about their sex lives before they talk about their pocketbook. When you get to understand people basically show you everything they got and tell you everything that they're trying to accomplish, all the hurdles, the challenges that they've had along the way. And, and, and you're there to help and you, you begin to add value to them. There isn't, there isn't anything that's, that's, that's more rewarding and and you develop a really close relationship with your clients.
1: So I, I would imagine going to this idea of, of competition that, you know, a lot of people say that they will do these things. And to your point about trust and that being the point where, where action meets those words, how do you think about how Journey Wealth actually differentiates from other wealth management companies? Uh, you know, like what is what is the role of, of technology in the business, you know, and you mentioned how the wealth management industry kind of writ large has changed since you began your career and how it's more than just you know what stock are you buying you know tomorrow how do you think about journey's positioning and evolution of that over time
0: sure well first i mean given our our special i wouldn't say specialization but our, our dedication towards entrepreneurs and you know professional golfers There, there are custom solutions, right? So we continue to hire and, and, and bring on team members that add additional value to our existing clients. So we have bookkeepers on staff. We have CPAs on staff. We have financial planners, you know, two CFA. We have a bunch of, we'll call alphabet soup. We have a bunch of dedicated professionals on our team that are there to surround the needs of our clients. When we look at technology, technology is a tool where if we're only focused on using technology to, to enhance internal operation efficiencies, then we're failing. Everything we do has to be in the best interest of the client. Whether it's providing a solution, a technology solution, uh, or or an investment solution, or a planning solution, whatever it is, we we leave, and we stole this from Jeff Bezos, but essentially there's an empty seat in the room at all times in representation of the client, right? So if we're not doing it for the best interest of the client, delivering for the client experience, then, then we're not interested in doing it, or it has to be rethought out. And, and so now we're beginning rolling out here shortly as a learning, learning style assessment for our clients, not a test for our clients, but to understand how they curate, how they, how they consume data and content. So we can deliver the content that's most easily, you know, most, most easily, um, comprehended by them like you know a lot of times historically you hand them a 150 page financial plan and you, and they don't ever open it because it's just a lot or you have other you know engineers that love to dissect everything and provide so we're going to provide content and the tools available to them so if they want to stress test and do do model scenarios they can so we want to curate content And then be able to deliver solutions based on what they're trying to accomplish in a in a in a fast manner right so you know using ai has helped us leverage that it's helped us saying you know if you're telling me you want to you know you're you have a philanthropic endeavor we can help use ai to help deliver solutions faster but then you know we use the personnel side to 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 be along there to to help you implement those solutions (laughs) The big initiative that we've come out this year is, like I mentioned before, we, we, we brought on a certified life coach, executive coach, and we've begun a family journey process in which we're working with our ultra high net worth families and delivering family meetings, helping them set core values, helping them educate, align the family around how the wealth was created, what the legacy they want to preserve for the, for the family and beyond. And so continue to add more services to, or, or I would say more value to our clients is what we're going to continue to do and, and continue to add, you know, people and solutions. And, you know, what's there's a lot of consolidation in our industry now, right? So there's a lot of consolidation. There's a lot of roll ups. For us, we're going to continue to be white glove boutique. You won't see a whole lot of marketing for us. You know, we, we kind of our marketing and sales strategy is we've tripled, you know, we've tripled in size in the last two and a half years based on client referrals and word of mouth right? And so we're going to continue to be boutique. It doesn't mean in the future we, may, we won't do some sort of marketing, but we really like being kind of under the radar, right? And just delivering for our clients. And, and uh, you know, that, that's that's the most fun. And empowering our, our employees, if they have a better solution or something they see behind the scenes, we're going to constantly reinvent, right? We're, we're students, right we're students and if I'm not going to sit here and, and keep, continue to push something that's not working right so if somebody on, in in the trenches has a better solution or a better way or a more efficient way to deliver to the client then we're going to empower our our employees to 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 do that and we want to hear them
1: what, what do you think are the biggest misconceptions folks coming into you know working with journey have about succession and and generally like what what are what are the what do you wish you know, more people understood about it? So
0: succession, I think people, you know, when they think about succession, they think I have to sell my business. You know, they, they have private equity, for example, gets a bad, bad rap for a lot of entrepreneurs. I sell my business to private equity. They're going to fire all my employees and they're going to you know, move geographic locations or whatever it is. I think succession, like anything, you know, when did Noah build the ark? Before the flood, right? So if we map out, here's what an x. Here's a couple external solutions. Here's a couple internal solutions, and then ultimately goes always goes to the core of your financial plan. Like understanding what you need for your family and what your legacy, what you want your legacy to be. If your business is your main tool to retirement or to financial independence, then let's talk about what succession looks like. Having open dialogue with your current employees, your key management team, you know very important and most importantly have an open dialogue with your family right and do you have children that are interested in being in the business do you not have children you know or are you are your kids moved out and they don't they don't care do you have key management team that have been with you for 20-30 years that that want to sustain the, the business moving forward. So it's understanding what you need personally, right? For what's your purpose, what's your legacy? How do you, what is the evolution of your legacy? Cause it's going to be way different when you're 35 than when it is when you're 65. But, you know, offense, beginning time, you always got to think about the defensive side of the equation. What happens if I get hit by a bus, right? And then you, but along the side, you start thinking about the strategic side. And with that, I think, you know, if it's internal and you want, you know, mass, you know, mass ownership, you may consider an ESOP. If it's, you know, you have a key management team that you want to sell the business to, or you have, you know, strategic or private equity on the, on the, on the, the external side. So it depends on what you're looking to accomplish, but I've seen the best, the best, you know, end results are when there's open dialogue there. The the owners have clear, clear ideas of what they need personally so, for example, if if the business is worth ten dollars a share, you're financially independent at eight dollars a share, and you sell to your internal management team for nine dollars a share, everyone wins, right? If your goal was to sell internally, you wanted the business to stay, you believe in the community, you believe in the the your your key management team, and you get to sell it to them at a discount to fair market value, but you're still financially independent. If that's important to you, then then you know I've seen it I've seen it happen right? And I've seen other people grow business and say, I want max value and they sell it to private equity or to the highest bidder. So I think understanding what you want out of the business, and it's going to change. It's going to change. You know, there's some people that say, I I never want to sell. That's other people, you know, three years later, there's a family event or a lifestyle change, or there's, you know, something's changed significantly in in the economy or or industry in general. And they're like, I need to get out. And so, um, you know, when we help plan part of the process is that we start thinking through those things, right? We start building the arc and helping them think through best, worst and, 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 you know, base case scenarios.
1: Yeah, no, it's really cool. One of the things that you mentioned that really kind of resonates is this, uh, the whole kind of boutique idea for, for the firm and, and, you know, word of mouth and and really having the whole business built on trust. It, it brought me back. One of my first, professional experiences with it was with a firm called uh, Allen & Company and they're they're one of these you know boutique old school shops and in my mind they're kind of like very close to what the ideal business looks like because it's 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 ultimately just you know someone is deciding that that your your wisdom and practice is, is so worthy to to give you your capital and it the business itself doesn't really require so much of that itself And so they're just like, it's a very creative thing overall, but it it really stems from building this relationships over time. It's, I think, fun to think about because it it stands, I think, in contrast to product management and other service offerings in a a traditional sense. And so it's just, it's interesting to think about from a a business context, how that, how that looks in practice.
0: We don't need to be pioneers. You need to, we can be settlers, right? There's been a lot, what I mean by that is, is, I don't need to be Lewis and Clark we could be the dude that founded Chicago, right? Like there's there's been so many smart people that have come before us, so many entrepreneurs. And what I love about the opportunity I have and, and the, the clients that we get to work with and the network that I have is asking questions. Hey, where, what, what happened? You know, if somebody, you know, tripped in a hole, I want to make sure I avoid that hole, right? And ask, humbling myself to ask questions. And And I mentioned this earlier, but the one thing is living in a world of abundance. And it's easy to say, but like I don't believe in our industry that there's a zero sum game. I firmly believe that everyone can win. You know, you find the right fit clients for the right firm, and there's going to be certain clients that aren't that that aren't interested in you know what we provide. They're more interested in something else or another firm, and that's okay. And so you know, understanding that if we live in the world of abundance, and and you know, and we just are authentically true to ourselves. You're going to attract the clients that you want to work with. You're going to attract meaningful relationships that way. And it's just going to make it more enjoyable. And, and same with our employees. I mean, our employees are, are, are you know, so valuable. Uh, and, and I love the team that we have in, with us today and, you know, look to continue to build and grow because our, our employees are, are, you know, as valuable, if not more valuable than our clients. And I want to, you know, we, our job, what we owe our employees is vision, opportunities, and clear expectations. Right. So we, we, we have to help them achieve all that they want to achieve, whether it's, you know, if they want to be the next CEO, have at it. I, you, you don't have a bigger supporter than me. Let's just map it out and help you get there. You know, I think in the business world, it can be cutthroat. Right. And, and we just if we continue to do the right thing, life has a, a funny way of working out. Right. And so, you know, you and I have talked about, you know, Jamie Dimon. I listened to the Jamie Dimon 2009 Harvard commencement speech every year once a year i think there's a lot of you know great feedback great input on that on that 47 minute you know youtube video that i like to revisit every year because every year i listen i hear something different all the entrepreneurs that i've heard and you know on your podcast I've listened to a hundred of them and, and, you know, every one of them are avid readers and there's different books that they've referenced within the podcast. And it's constantly just, you know, taking the good, right? What, what can you learn from this book? Or what can you learn from this story? Founders podcasts. I, I've really appreciated every single one. You know, the one, I think you and I talked about at lunch that I was, it was so compelling to me was James Dyson, you know, in, in against all odds, his book, but James Dyson, he failed 5,124 times. He had 5,124 prototypes. It took him 14 or 16 years, I don't remember, remember—till the end result of what we see today, and they're going to continue to evolve, right? And he didn't quit. He just kept going. So, like, our services, we're going to continue to enhance our services. We're going to continue to grow. We're going to continue to evolve. The industry today is going to look a lot different than it will be 10 years from now, right? And we have to continue to grow but as long as we keep the client at the forefront of what we do, I have no doubt, you know, like I listened to a virtual meeting of an MA conference in conference in our industry and I listened for 45, 50 minutes and I was taking notes and, you know, it's interesting between us, not one time did I hear anything talk about the client. Not one time. It was talk about mult- EBITDA multiples, consolidation, how you integrate teams, how you do all these things. And not one time did I hear about the client and, and I just circled that on my notes saying, all right, we're, you know, like not interested. You know what I mean? Like we're going to continue to deliver for the client. And so, and and eventually we're going to grow. And and if it hinders our growth, I, I, at least I know we're
1: we're doing it this way, right? Today. And which I appreciate. Where, where would you like to take the business? What, you know, what's the vision for, for the future?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. And I think it's going to continue to evolve. Our short, you know, our goal right now is to help a thousand families. And, uh, you know, we're going to add, you know, right now we have, we just, we have Roughly 20 employees, you know, and I think over the next three to five years, I'd like to get to 35, 50 employees, and, and you know, continue to, to deliver for for more and more families, and uh, both in the professional golf space and in the professional golf space, it doesn't grow as as you know, if you're talking a target-rich environment, right? There's there's only so many professional golfers, and we want to have calculated growth in that area so that we can continue to deliver value there, and then in the non golf side. You know, I'd like to continue to, to grow and work with additional entrepreneurs and work with the, providing additional services. And I really think that the 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 wellness solution for our existing clients, and then working with you know closely held businesses here through Northeast Ohio, as well as Ultra High Network families, and, and helping them with financial, you know, we we'll call it the family journey, is really gonna is is really gonna differentiate us in the marketplace.
1: So, I know, as Journey Wealth has grown and evolved in its both focus and direction, you've taken seriously an approach to apply the the concepts, the tools, and the discipline in the form of a business operating system to guide the company and team to your envisioned future. So, I would love if you could take us through this this adaptation from how you recognize the the need to actually institutionalize a new way of of running your business to how you went about implementing it with the buy-in of the team to ultimately how it has transformed the business today.
0: In the luxury of working with, with entrepreneurs, and as we've talked about throughout this podcast, sometimes you don't need to be a pioneer. You could just be a settler. And in a lot of the clients that we work with and have the opportunity to work with, they've implemented EOS. So they've implemented traction and where they found... The greatest values it helped them, you know, uh, align their their values and focus and, and create an infrastructure and a, and a framework to make really good decisions. And so we, as a partnership group, which is a little different than than a lot of our entrepreneurs, where you have the sole visionary and then he builds a team around he or she builds a team around themselves. We always knew we wanted to operate in some sort of framework, right? We wanted to we we wanted to come in as an entrepreneurial group with more of an institutional framework but we failed at doing it ourselves. We tried to do certain things ourselves. And what we realized is we were being way too nice. We were spending way too much time uh, in meetings and getting nothing done. We'd spend three hours of our time talking, going round and round with, with no end result. So we knew that we needed to, to, to bring in, um, first of all, confirm that the EOS or the operating system was what we wanted, you know, what would be the best fit for our firm Bring in a professional integrator to help us do it, do it and execute it, because we needed that. So we we made a conscious effort to do that. And, and in that process, we received a lot more buy-in from not only our partners, but from our from our team members, you know, from, from our employees for several reasons. We we can clearly articulate our core values of the firm, where we wanted to be over the next year, three years, five years, 10 years, and beyond. And it's kind of like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Right. And, and in and, and, and aligning our partnership group on saying, do we want this? To, are we building a lifestyle business? Are we building a, are we building a business that's sustain that's sustainable beyond us? Right. What type of legacy do we want to live, leave in the, in the business community for our stakeholders uh, and beyond? So it helped us uh, you know, define that and, and build towards that. So, you know, it also helped us give clarity and focus on our strategic objectives. Right. So, areas of the business we want to focus on, our clients that we want, the types of clients we want to continue to work with, the families we want to work with, and and, and et cetera. And so, it helped us define that. I think one of the things, the biggest value, I shouldn't say the biggest, but a, a significant value to this is accountability and responsibility. So, it's interesting, differently than an org chart where your name is a title. And here, we actually, it helps you define who's accountable and responsible for that. And you track towards it. Right. And so it, I, early on I'm, I'm being um, you know, I was included on technology calls or internal calls where after the phone call, I, I, you know, I, I would look at Anthony, my one partner and say, you know, whoever you decide is who we're going with. Right. Like I, I don't have much input on this. My, my question is going to be is who do you think is the best fit? Cause that's who I think we should go with. So, you know, it helped with, you make the decision this is your responsibility we define a budget and here's the budget and if you think that these three vendors are the top three and we're gonna pick one from the top three like great I I'm, I'm, we're're we're, we you know we're empowering you to make that decision so when they could focus rock focus my time on you know the offensive side of the equation the growth the strategy and things that that fit my skill set better so I really think and people people when when you when they understand you know I, I think we talked about this earlier but Vision, expectations, and opportunities are the three things that we owe to, to to our to our employees. And when we can when we have an aligned vision and, and we create reasonable expectations on how they what their responsibilities are, what 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 their what their real duties are, who we're servicing, how we can best do that, and then an opportunity for them to enhance in their career or personal development inside and outside the organization, that's what we owe our, our employees. It, it, our, 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 is that and so this operating system and institutionalizing our, our our framework really has helped us develop that and help us, you know, um, you know, focus more our attention on that. With that is also identifying people's strengths and weaknesses. So if I, you know, we're, people are responsible for certain areas of the business. If that's not their the right fit form. but you know, like I'm a firm believer in you you hire for character and you train for skill. Right, but I'm not gonna. You know, I I would be doing our employee a disservice, our clients a disservice, our our, our all of our stakeholders a disservice if we have defensive minded people, uh, in offensive minded roles. Right, so we have to make sure that we continue to look at right people, right seats, and where I see this in my experience, where the biggest detriment is ego. Right, I think ego gets in the way of a lot of this, and you know, understanding that. There's going to be a time in, in this business future where I'm not the right fit or the best fit to be the visionary. And we have to separate ourselves from saying we are owners of this business and being in, in, sitting in the owner's box. We have to make a, a strategic decision on who the best visionary is, who the best integrator, who the, the, the and aligning the right people in the right seats, because ultimately I want to win. Right. I want to win. So if that means in, in early on I have to throw the ball, great. If that means that I have to block or catch or whatever my responsibility or or pour water, I don't care. I want to win. And and this this allows you to, you know, this operating system that we've that we've adopted is that's how we're that's how we're making our decisions.
1: So I think there's there's kind of a, a trope or call it an observation that that I think is somewhat more prevalent in in athletes than in others, uh, generally speaking, but it's this phenomenon where they tend to to spend their money, and and <laughs> and uh, while having achieved an extraordinary level of wealth, very quickly find themselves without it. So I'm curious, you know, especially through the the lens of of, of golf and the athletes that that you've gotten to work with, you know, how is it that you help them manage? this, this phenomenon and what, what is, what is going on, you know, generally speaking there?
0: Sure. Oh, it's a great, that's a great question. Well, the good thing for a lot of this is that a lot of the golfers that we, when, when a relationship is found they're twenty 22 years old and they're just coming out, they just turned pro and they're solely focused on playing golf. Right. And so <laughs> we give them a credit card and we basically say, go play golf. We'll take care of everything else. And with that, it's like anything, it's, we help them establish good habits we've kind of force save them and advise them on saving in, 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 you know, here, of your income, you're going to have to save X percent here. And we help them manage that. Right. And, and where, you know, professional golfers have a, an interesting is that they can have a very long career, right? I mean, you, you can, you know, they have the corn Ferry tour, you have the PGA tour and you could be on the PGA tour for 20 years, never win an event. But if you're making cuts you're, you're going to have a great financial, you're going to have a lot of financial success. And so our job is to just help educate. So a lot of what we do is educating our clients on here, here's, here, here's savings mechanisms. Here's ways that we can, we're going to sock money away for that. You'll cause in a golfer's life, 22 to 40, that's their peak earning years from 40 to 50 before those champions tours really where the, the that, that, that shortfall starts to begin because the 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 competition at a 40 is 40 42 year old on the pga you know it's hard to keep up with the young bucks if you will and then you know you you can't you can't really play on the champions tour until you're 50 years old to to 60 65 so there it's helping them the biggest issue whether it's golf or not golf is 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 raising your standard of living to a point where you have to earn x amount of dollars in order to sustain that standard of living So if if you have to, we help educate our clients in understanding what they need in, in in assets to sustain the lifestyle that they have, or helping them identify the lifestyle that that's, you know, here's the lifestyle you want to live. Here are the things that we need to do to sustain that and, and helping them. And frankly, we've, our, our client base has done a fantastic job with that. They've done a fantastic job with it. They're excellent students. And, and for the most part they they all just they care more about you know providing for their family and their core values and, and things so we've been very fortunate in working with the client base that we do have but I mean it's hard it's hard in an industry we're keeping up with Jones's where people have four different homes and they they all are 10 million plus and you know private jets and jet setting all over and then when you turn it off, there has to be a significant pot of money there to sustain that life. Or you just, you know, you, you, you dip your toe in when you can and, 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 you know, you, you live below your
1: means. Hmm. I'll butcher Housel's quote, but it was something like past a certain level of income. What you need is, is just what sits below your, your ego. So yeah, it's, it's interesting. Very cool. So what are, what are the important parts of, of the journey? Well, story of your story that, that you don't think we've touched on yet, that, that you would like to.
0: You know, the one thing I say is, you know, when I we talked a little about hanging a shingle and the team, which I think a very uh, beneficial point to the is the team we have, right? We all complement each other really well. Our partnership group challenges each other. We push each other to be better in, in the roles we've had. We've implemented EOS, which I think has been a, a game changer for our business, helping us sign accountability, uh, align goals. I think at the beginning, everyone was a little too nice, right? And this said, you know, this allowed us to, to you know, call call somebody to the carpet or assign roles in, in, in accountability. And, I, and so I think EOS has been monumental in our business. And I think the, the best part, and, I, and and it's hard because this is, I, we're not really talking, you know, I'm not really, I haven't really extrapolated too much on, on the business itself. But I will tell you that we have a, a company that I'm so thankful to be a part of that egos are checked at the door right? Everybody here is in the, it, it wants what's in the best interest of the client, what's, what's in the best interest of the person sitting next to them. And there's, there's so much opportunity out there to continue to enhance and work with additional families and add value to, to, to their. And I think that the clients that we have the opportunity to work with in the, in the business owner landscape, the entrepreneurs, our team is built on servicing entrepreneurs and business owners. And there isn't a lot of firms around town or I think across the country that can say that. And so I think it provides a, a really good opportunity. And, you know, we, I mean, our firm was founded on that. So if someone's looking to make an acquisition or somebody's looking to add additional services or needs help with, you know, building out financials, you know, these are things that we can do and have the, the, the dedicated team members on staff. If people are looking to incentivize their, their key executives in fringe benefits like executive coaching or financial planning, or we can help them retain top talent, add additional services it's interesting publicly traded companies i mean executives spend 60 to 100 grand a year in executive coaching you know the best golfers in the world pay coaches the best you know basketball players lebron james has a coach right i mean these the everybody has a coach so if we can you know that's another reason why we had a fidelity was in our office i'd say six to eight months ago and fidelity did a, a nationwide study with all their clients on services that their clients were looking for, and the top two things that they were looking for were personal CFO and wellness life coaching. And I started laughing that when the when the guy was telling us, he's like, "What's so funny about this?" I said, "Well, we we just hired our uh, certified life coach. He starts, and it doesn't mean that we're going to get it right. We're going to fall down. We're going to skin our knee. But I think if we continue to to you know evolve and deliver services to our clients that they're looking for, that they're longing for." it's going to be a lot of fun and we're going to have a lot of success and success isn't driven by numbers on the the income statement or the balance sheet. Success is delivered by how many families you help. Right. And, and, you know, the the thing about our job is we're there in the best scenarios when they sell their business, they ring the bell or, or the worst scenarios when, I mean, recently we just had a, a, a really fantastic client pass away and they were really organized and now helping his widow, you know, we've taken over bill pay, we've taken over a lot of the family management, we've taken over things. And it's just, we, we're there to help in the most difficult situations, right? And so I'm not celebrating that, but that's just the value that we have to, to help with our clients. And that's what our firm is founded on and what I love. I mean, what I, what I love about our job.
1: Who have been those coaches and, and mentors to you? You know, it's interesting, the
0: trading guys that I used to work with, it was a very incestuous group, right? So what I mean by that is, is we were all trading, we challenged each other, we, so I mean, there was, there was six of us all together that were, well, there's seven of us that were really close and so that was our trust tree with the nest. That was kind of like my EO before I knew what EO was, where you'd be able to commiserate and talk about experience share on what's going on. I could tell you my, you know, I had several mentors at, at my previous firm that helped me accelerate my learning curve and planning for business owners. And then I would say there's a handful of uh, clients that I have that I, I even though they're are they don't know that they've mentored me when I'm calling them and asking them questions that they are right. And so I've been very fortunate to have fantastic friends, clients and, and former colleagues that were wonderful mentors. And, and I think, you know, weren't afraid to ask. I, I mean, when I first started trading, I can't tell you, I would, I would go around and tug on guys' coats and say, can you tell me why you did this trade? Can you, can you help me out here? Walk me through here. And, and I, and at that point I remember, and you've heard this before, but never judge a man to the an, to the answers to his questions, but by the questions he asks Right. So I always at that point, ask questions, learn as much as you you can. Don't be afraid because six months is going to go by. And, you know, the question you didn't ask, if you didn't ask it then and you don't know it now, you look like an idiot. So, you know, like, don't be afraid to ask questions. And so mentors I've had again, I've been I would say the old trading group that I used to work with. That was my trust tree. I had, you know, two or three fantastic colleagues that I had at, at Sequoia that were very helpful in my development. Uh, and then I would say there's, there's a handful of clients, existing clients that have helped push me to be better, that have helped me become more operationally efficient and challenged me to be the best version of myself.
1: A lot of things I, I, I want to ask you about, but, but one of them and, and kind of unrelated before we, we uh, get to our, our more traditional closing question is I wanted to ask you about the the day of madness, which is a, a concept that you had told me about that I had never heard of before, but you know, so <laughs> Yeah, so
0: I have a client and friend who is, uh, you know, one of the top ultra marathoners in the world. Uh, or it was one point top five in the world. And, and so he and his friend, his friend was actually one of the guys on running the Sahara. So running the Sahara, Sahara is a documentary done by three gentlemen who ran, basically ran across the Sahara desert. And I, I forgot what it was. It was like two marathons a day for 111 days straight, something ridiculous. I don't even know how anybody would be able to do that. But so this gentleman and, and, uh, my friend and client at um, this day and it's called Day of Madness. And what you do is, is you wake up in the ocean and this is, goes back to like the comfort crisis, right? So everybody comforts a great place, place to be, but it lacks growth. So challenge yourself, come up with something annually to where you're challenging yourself. There is a little risk of, it doesn't have to be death, but there's a little bit of risk of physical harm or, you know, kind of shakes it to the core a little mm-hmm. bit, requires process of training. So the day of madness is you get in the ocean, you, you surf as the sun's coming up, you get out of the, you get out of the ocean, you run and the, the a half marathon, you immediately change your shoes, you go play 18 holes of golf, you immediately change. And then you, you, you end up on the mountain and you go ski down the mountain. There was a, a part of there where there was a, there was talks if there was time in order to go skydiving, but there, there was no skydiving. So, you know, my three year goal now is, is to hike the Highland Bowl in Aspen. So I wouldn't say I'm a great skier by any means, uh, but it seems really cool to hike up. I had a buddy of mine who did it for his 50th birthday party, and I was I put it down. I'm like, all right, next three years, I'm going to hike the Highland Bowl and ski down. So I also lo- I have three sons, and I want my sons to challenge themselves. I want them, my sons to set goals and to accomplish them. And if, even if they fail, don't get stuck in the gap. You know, trust, enjoy the process of training, you know, from where you start to, to, to ultimately... where where you end up. And so that's, we can go down a rabbit hole about how I think we're teaching kids the wrong stuff in school now because I think we're teaching, we're setting them up to never take risks. Uh, you know, kids are so focused on getting a 4.5, 4.6 or whatever the grade point average go up to now. And then they're going to grow up, go to college and, and go to Ivy League schools and then get a job working for the big four, or become a doctor or lawyer, or whatever it is that their parents wanted them to be. And then they're 40 years old saying, I hate my life and I can't stay in my job. It's because they were afraid to take risks. They were afraid to not get it, you know, to challenge themselves or to do something different. And so. You know, I want whether it's hiking the Highland Bowl and creating aspen, or, or or skiing down aspen, or starting betting on yourself and starting a business. You know, I I want my boys to challenge themselves, take risk, You know, smart risk, but you know, yeah, in, yeah. In, in you only you only get one crack at it. Like I was telling my wife yesterday, as we were walking our dog, I said, when our kids graduate college, I want them to to buy a motorcycle and ride ride cross country or do something. And she's like, you're nuts. And I'm like, well, whatever. <laughs> then they're going to be older like me and now they can't do it. So like, you know, take risks and have fun while you're young.
1: Yeah, there, there is a lot to that. I mean, I, I think uh, to the education piece, you know, I don't and I don't know exactly how you do this, but, you know, the instilling of the the love of learning and like trying to the goal being like not to be right, but to understand. Right. <laughs> And that, I mean, that's like embedded in, in the whole entrepreneurial journey, right? It, it, I think about this concept all the time that, you know, the, the business that a company succeeds with is, is rarely the business that the company started with. And it's, it's rare because it's so difficult to discern at the onset, you know, what exactly is going to work in the long run and you're going to have to iterate and, and all of it is just like being resilient enough to continuously fail, uh, but learn to, to, to eventually get it right. And yeah, I don't know how, uh, how exactly you teach that, you know, resilience, but, but uh, yeah, the only
0: way you teach it is by my grandma used to say, little bunnies have ears. You you teach it by doing right. And and you teach it by, by living the, the, trying to do the best you can because your children are watching right? And, and your clients are watching, your employees are watching, right? So you lead by example. It was one funny thing. My dad, I was telling my son this as I was driving him to football is discipline yourself so others don't have to, right? And so those are the things that, you know, if you set goals, you know, discipline yourself to accomplish those goals. And the thing is, is you're going to fall, you're going to fail, just get back up and, and keep going.
1: Well, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll ask you our, our traditional, Closing question here, which is uh, for a hidden gem in, uh, in Cleveland, something that other folks may not know about.
0: So I was, uh, let me think, let me think about this. So hidden gem, I will tell you it's hidden and I don't know if many people will find it, but in <laughs> where, in where I grew up in, on the border of Chesterland and Munson, there's a farm and in the back of the farm. There's an old and it's a, it's a bunch of trails, but in the middle of the trail, there's an old maple syrup factory that burned down. Okay. And so there's remnants of this open in and, and around it where they had all the horse and buggies that would come through and created trails. And, and I spent my childhood riding dirt bikes and mountain bikes and, and snowmobiles and things through these trails. And I took my children there recently and my, my nieces and nephews and we walked and it's our own, it was, it was beautiful, a 10-acre metro park back there with this, you know, and still the clubhouse of the, the and so I'm, I'm sure people can find it. It's Heath and Wilson Mills. There's a, there's a farm back there. I don't, I'm sure the farm, whoever owns the farm doesn't want people knowing about it. But back there, there, was, there was, it was, it's the most beautiful, serene. There's a creek running through it. And it made me appreciate the childhood that I had. It made me appreciate the opportunity that I had to, to grow up in such a cool spot. Northeast Ohio has so many great metro parks and outdoor and, and I'll leave with this every whether whether it's a famous historian, philosopher, the Bible, whatever it is, anybody who's seeking clarity, they always go outside, right? It's always out, you know, go on a hike, go on a walk, watch a sunrise, watch a sunset. This is, it was a very peaceful part of my life and, and I'm so thankful and it is a hidden gem. And I'm so glad I got to share with my kids and I'm so thankful I my, my grew up in an area where this was around. I don't know why the maple syrup factory burned down. I hope it wasn't a story of some, there's arson or something, but I could tell you that I really appreciate that. And it was a hidden gem and it's, it's such a really cool spot. It's such a really cool, special spot.
1: Yeah. That's a, that's a beautiful hidden gem. Thank you for, for sharing. Well, TJ, I, I really appreciate you coming on and and, uh, and sharing your story.
0: Oh, this was fantastic. And, it was, and I really appreciate you having me and I really appreciate the time we spent today.
1: If, if people had anything they wanted to follow up with you about, what would be the best way for them to do so?
0: Yeah, they can email me. They can call me. Uh, my contact information is on our website, journey-wealth.com. Always available for a conversation, a coffee, a lunch, whatever I can do to help. I want to do that.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you again. Thank you. That's all for this week. Thank you for listening. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show. So if you have any feedback, please send over an email to jeffrey at layoftheland.fm or find us on Twitter at podlayoftheland or at Sternfa. J-E-F-E. If you or someone you know would make a good guest for our show, please reach out as well and let us know. And if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or on your preferred podcast player. Your support goes a long way to help us spread the word and continue to bring the Cleveland founders and builders we love having on the show. We'll be back here next week at the same time to map more of the land. The Lay of the Land podcast was developed in collaboration with The Up Company, LLC.